0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch.
1: Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Welcome to the BFI Network podcast. I'm Matimba Kabalika. Here at the network, we're into discovering, developing, and funding new and emerging filmmakers. It's not always easy to get your questions in front of people who make decisions. So we've been running around with our microphone and pulling in some favours. I went over to Nassau Street to chat to Big Talk's head of film, Rachel Pryor, about development, rejection and baked goods.
2: I'm going to get this. Good Foley, is this? This is (laughs) Oh, (laughs) That's, That's the official brand of Big Talk. Ported in, ported out. What happens in this room? Magic, magic is This is where the, is where where the magic, magic happens. Yeah, well, this is known as the development meeting room. So this is, yeah, predominantly the script
0: meetings happen in here. Um, thank you so much for ah, having it's us here pleasure. today. So, so and exciting. I bought you this because I always. I, so so cause obviously. You are... Someone a,
2: knows me. In a baking capacity. extraordinaire. Well, I, do, well, I don't do know if extraordinaire is quite right, but that looks very impressive. I think impressive. so, no. I see your, I see your pictures, okay. I see the tweets. This is amazing. There's no need to, no need to
0: pretend you're amongst
2: friends. <laughs> for the record, let it be known <laughs> that I've just been presented with the most delicious-looking uh, cinnamon bun. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. This is all going very well. Was... <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you. Thanks for seeing us. I'm so interested to talk about... All the stuff that you do uh-huh. here at Big Talk. I wanted to start out talking about your journey as a development yeah. exec because you often speak about how tough it is
2: mm. you know to get in. I just kind of knew that I needed to get to London, and thankfully, I traveled south from growing up in the Midlands. I traveled south, so I had a lot of friends at university who were from London. I just wrote in the summer holidays, I remember writing about probably about 50 letters just to various theater, TV film companies not really knowing what I was doing, but just going, here I am. Yeah, I pretty much got 49 rejection letters and I had one invitation to go and work selling advertising space on a free newspaper. So I just took that job to get me down here. Thankfully, didn't have to do too long at it because I found it agonising to be cold selling over the phone. I got a job on the stage door at the Royal Court Theatre, which came out of one of the letters that I had written. Didn't have anything at the time, but then they kind of offered me that position. So really, I kind of that's where I started. Just very luckily in the kind of heart of new writing, and essentially a kind of reception position. But got to know a few quite key people Stephen Dodger being one of them I did go and work for another theatre producer for a while but then came back to the Royal Court in a kind of, they made up a job for me which was a very grand title of artistic assistant which I thought was really exciting so I spent a good couple of years there in amongst the uh, associate directors casting and in Stephen's office just really soaking up what it meant to essentially produce something from start to finish so I worked there for a few years and it was actually when Stephen was leaving as artistic director and had done a deal with working title he mentioned to me that there was a, a an assistant job going developed assistant which I didn't I just didn't know I had no clue how films got made which is not very forgivable now probably for someone of like 23 years old to say that given the amount of information that's now at one's fingertips. So it was actually Natasha Wharton who you know very well who is at the BFI who interviewed me. So that's how I got my break into film kind of just by getting my foot in the door in a different sector of creative writing industry I suppose. Yeah I mean I worked there for 12 years and I just sort of worked my way up learning the job learning the ropes from some incredible women who mentored me through that those 12 years. That is incredible path in. It's interesting
0: and when you talk about rejection it's so interesting because I was saying that I was just always constantly, because I used to work in advertising yeah. and trying to move into film and I was getting constantly rejected even for the you know the most basic jobs. Yeah. I, mean, I remember there was a job going here that I was woefully underqualified for, but I was like, I'm just going to write to everybody because my name's Matimba. Maybe they'll remember if yes. okay, a receptionist job yes. comes up. Yes. So I wrote and you responded. I said, I love it because it was the <laughs> nicest response because I was oh. like, everybody would just say no. No. But yours was actually, like, so nice, it kept me going. <laughs> <laughs> thank
2: God it was nice. That's so funny. It was lovely. Actually, I, uh, on, on Twitter, there's a, a writer who's very successful in, in the States now, but a Brit that moved over there that actually showed me that he'd kept one of the rejection letters that I'd written to one of his early screenplays. And I was just, like, so horrified. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be awful. But actually, it was a very sweet and very nice, encouraging pass. Thank God. But actually, you know what's something that Natasha taught me very early on is that that thing how you conduct yourself. More than anything, this is a very fluid industry. And one day you could be riding high, the other day you just never know. I mean people that were your assistant five years ago are suddenly gonna be the people saying yes or no to your finance money. So you know one hopes that you're a decent person anyway. But I mean keeping your kind of peace and Q's in check is like it's really important. And she always said, even if you're very late responding on a script, you know. As long as you're, like, professional and you apologise and you're sincere, it goes a long way. And I actually think it was one of the best pieces of advice that I was ever given. So, look, I'm so so (laughs) glad. It's
0: it's so interesting that you remember the rejections. But I love hearing about your working title journey and and Mm. coming up through the Royal Court. I think that's incredible. What I'm interested to know is how how did you start to figure out what was your taste and how did you start building those relationships with writers because obviously that was quite a strong thing coming from the Royal Court. Yes,
2: no, absolutely. I mean, I think I didn't really... Est- I sort of underestimated what value I would have as an employee for a film company having worked in a new writing theatre. When you're young like that, you don't understand what qualities you have or what experience you have are actually kind of quantifiable skills or a database that someone might want to essentially purchase when they're hiring you. So I I didn't really understand that I had that through being at the Royal Court, but of course I did because I knew who all those writers were up and coming, and that even though the job was principally an administration job as an assistant, being able to say, oh, you should check that person out, or that person's, you know, on this scheme at this theatre was obviously a useful kind of skill set to have your taste or your ability to judge how good something is is only as good as how refined your kind of measuring scale is and the way that you uh, refine that is simply by reading and reading and reading more material and hopefully you're getting access to which I certainly was at working title people at the beginning of their career who are a bit rough around the edges but you can spot learn to spot sparks of, of talent, and you're reading people at the top of their game. Not that I was giving any notes ever on a the script, but we were producing their films, and I was reading their drafts as they were coming in. So, you know, you start off, I was a story editor, so I was kind of like the person in the room that was writing down all the notes and had had to do all the homework and might occasionally chip in, but, you know, obviously the executive in the room would be running the meeting. When you get feedback in the room, if you say something and your boss or the writers are like, oh, that might actually quite work you start to gain in in more confidence and realize what's helpful and what's not in those situations and then I I think there comes a point where you realize you've got an affinity for essentially story and editing or maybe you don't and I think the job will tell you that and writers have in their own unique way will let you know that and you'll either move up the chain or you find yourself stuck and i think it's important to listen if you're finding that you're getting stuck it's maybe just that you're not in the right area of the of the business but your relationships with writers come about from being helpful to them it's as simple as that
0: and how long into your working title journey did you start to feel okay this feels like a Rachel. It feels yes. like a you know, and do you start starting to having those when are those I think feelings? Probably start? like
2: when I moved over, because so I started as a development assistant and then I was there for a couple of years and they set up a low budget division which Natasha Walton ran and then I moved across there to be a story editor, which was, you know, my first non assistant title. Like, oh, these are all things very important when you're coming up. Like I don't know, you just hit a groove. You you find yourself like this is where I belong started to realise that when I would read a script, it stopped just being words on a page and started to kind of gain like a kind of shape in my head, like a story graph shape. I always describe it as, you know, when you start out, you're right in the nitty gritty, like, oh, I don't like that line. That's not very funny. And then the more experience you get, it's like you kind of just fly up higher and higher over the script till you have this bird's eye view of it so let's jump to big talk yes and
0: it's obviously like renowned being home to the new wave of british comedy mm. edgar and simon and nick so how did you come into that dynamic and then how did you start growing or expanding that
2: i think that the the simon and edgar and nick and, and, and naira will I think I'm the exact same age as Edgar. I think his birthday's like a month or so away from mine. We are of the same generation. When uh, Shaun the Dead came into working title, I think it was just got on very well from the outset. I just sort of, I don't know, sense of humour, cultural, popular culture references that they were kind of reaching for, the soundtrack, the music. I just, I understood all of their references and references were very important to them. You know, when there was an opportunity here to kind of start something big talk was expanding at the time and doing a first look deal with um, studio canal and film for you know and i've been at working title for 12 years which is big part of someone's life
0: I was ready for a new challenge It's such an energy because it it doesn't age you watch it now and you can you know I can still quote (coughs) yes when you can quote something it's good because it's not about Mm. how many times
2: it's got that fresh energy yeah what it did do is make me realize that something I kind of had understood on a subconscious level but that thing of authorship being so vital and I think that is why what you know, Simon, Egger and Nick Achieve with their movies it is so loved and so unique is because it's just their giving of themselves. Like, they are, it's distinctly British, but it was so exportable. It was just so on point. I think just because of having come up the way they did, you know, Simon through his sort of stand-up, Egger having been making films and funny films since he was knee-high to a grasshopper, they just had had that, like, audience, like, joke response training ground for so long uh, and they knew what they admired in movies and were just uniquely able to sort of put that out with their own stamp on it so it's hard you don't you know those those people don't come through the door every day but when you get a little sort of scent of something like that and someone else is writing it really gets me excited well that was kind of lead nicely into my next question which
0: is about that element yeah. of discovery is so yeah. important so how do you stay connected to that it's really
2: Interesting question because, you know, as one person with only so many hours in a working day um, and also your evenings and weekends, which is a big part of the job, it's really just about making sure that you're always reading new people. And that is very much a kind of metal detector hobbyist sort of that I always think when I see people out with metal detectors I'm like I feel you you know that's there are fields and fields of writers and you 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 can't know if anyone's good unless you're you read the work for yourself I mean sometimes you hear you should read this person someone people get recommended to you we're very fortunate we have a huge and very very dynamic tv company here who are doing you know great comedy as well as great drama so they are obviously discovering people uh who are kind of coming up in that way so there's a good sharing of information but ultimately nothing replaces the fact that you'll just get sent a sample by an agent and you even if it's going to take you six weeks to read it because you've got all this other project work that's really demanding that you ultimately make sure you get to that that new writing and uh that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I read a, a writer from Australia who I just thought was absolutely exceptional and so, so right for us. So that was really exciting. They always know when I really, really have fallen for their writing. There's no way they walk out being mistaken that I'm ambivalent in any way. So yeah, Do they get baked goods? Uh, no, they get baked goods. No, no, they don't. I mean, they like to get baked goods maybe when we when we're making a movie. That's a real sign. <laughs> that, of, yes, that's when you close the basically, deal. Basically, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> kind of leads me on nicely to talking about man up. Yes, I just want to know the whole story of how it happened, how you came mm. across Tess, and mm-hmm. how that because it's the recipe of goodness, all the things that we don't see enough of that you just mm. want more of rom coms. You know. Yeah.
2: Although you know would be lying if I said we weren't frustrated by the sort of box office performance of that film which is something we really have to take on board you know but I'm incredibly proud of the film I mean I feel like I've been across so many films now that have gone into production and and released across my time at Working Title and here I, I know when a film is okay or not so good and I know when it's good and I feel in my heart that Man Up is a good movie I'm really proud of it um, so the script came to us as a spec, which is not that usual. We get a lot of scripts through the door, but they're kind of not sent out in that way. Like, this is a spec. It's out to a few people. Uh, I was very new to Big Talk. I don't know how long I'd been here. At most a year, I think. But Tess had already met with an exec, Tamsin, who was already had been working at Big Talk for a while. So the script actually came in to Tamsin, and she was reading it, and her assistant was reading it. Her assistant, I was on this floor at the time, and her assistant was sat kind of in front of me, just reading the script and just laughing, and laughing and laughing. And I was just getting a bit annoyed, trying to concentrate on my work. And I was like, what are you reading? She was like, oh, this script man up. She was like, it's really good. I was like, well, if you still think it's really good by the time you get to the end of it, give it to me, I'll have a read of it. So she finished it and was like, I think it's really good. Passed it to me and I started reading it. In that way that I'll always do, if I get handed a script that someone's like, I'll always open the first couple of pages. And if I'm like, oh, okay, like I'm going to have to concentrate on that a bit more. It'll get put to one side until I have a proper slot for reading. But I started reading Man right Up and I just couldn't put it down. I think it was like 10 pages in. I was like, this is unlike anything I'd read, you know, I mean, genuinely... There was a way in which Tess had uh, captured the character of Nancy and put it down on the page. I mean, she writes very differently from Simon and Edgar, but what she had that was similar was this voice, character and dialogue that felt very distinctly British, but also felt international. Like it felt like already, it. you know, I read no end of scripts. I'd read the Bridesmaid script. I read a lot of those just for my own edification, just to kind of make sure I know what what a Judd Apatow movie looks like on the page. I could feel that it was competitive on that level and I could feel that there was a writer just utterly in command of her character and really confident. Like there was outrageous things in that script that stayed in the movie that I was just like, I love that she had the confidence to write that. I mean, she wrote it brilliantly, but it's that thing of just flinging yourself on the page with abandon, going, kind of know what makes people laugh is all of our weirdness and all of our things that we think are private and shameful but are actually universal and that is comedy how does big talk and how do you engage with emerging writers okay so this is a really interesting question so i suppose the traditional route is through agents introducing us to new clients saying oh, i've got this person you should check them out another way is I mean, we work with quite a lot of writer-directors. Short films is a way that we discover a lot of people, and sometimes we're discovering writers that way too, kind of accidentally. Like they're being sent to us because it's like, oh, look at the director, and you're like, actually, the script is very smart. Let's just have a look who's actually written this thing. So that's another way in. We go out about the theatre, you know. We're TV obsessed, even though we work in films. Pete and I, Pete my right-hand man. So we're always pulling writers in from that field, and we're working with a writer at the moment, actually, uh, Marnie Dickens, who's written 13, who's the new BBC drama, which is fantastic. So we're finding, yeah, writers that way, and recommendations that are kind of coming up from the television department. i suppose what we don't have, and um, it's just simply like a kind of, we're owned by ITV studios now, so things would be a bit more formalized, because we're owned in that way but also we just simply don't have the resources for that for unsolicited material so it's more challenging i'm not going to pretend that it's easy but an agent is the is the best thing for any kind of new writer to try and get um if they want to get on the desks of someone like me who might read and ultimately commission them i have read some writes i have solicited from finding them very amusing on twitter So that's another, not that I want to really advertise that, but I have read people. I don't, if people ask me to read stuff, I say no because I can't read things in that way. But I have definitely met with and encouraged some people who are kind of either on the peripheries of writing or starting to write that I think show just a great command of comedy or language. What do you see, if you do, as Mm. the
0: next thing in comedy? What's the kind of next big...
2: Do you know what, I think I I just would be an idiot if I tried to pretend I even had an answer to that question. I don't know, but I know that what I'm increasingly drawn to and what I'm finding audiences increasingly drawn to is people that are just really writing very truthfully about a unique circumstance or experience that isn't the generic norm. I mean, even just looking at shows like Catastrophe, for example, I mean, it's just superb on so many levels. It's just not trying to please anybody in particular. It's just being very brutal and honest and truthful. It's so full of heart and soul. I love it. Michaela Cole, who I'm just obsessed about. It's like, I will get a meeting with you. She's so busy at the moment. But I think it's that. So looking at, at shows on TV, but also in film, I love Diary of Teenage Girl. I just thought it was fantastic. It's not an out and out comedy, but it's just these voices that are coming from not the kind of usual. The 90s were full of all of that, weren't they? Those kind of slightly bland, universal experience made hysterical by falling over in your high heels sort of movies um a lot of the more interesting stuff is coming out of independent American movies and British TV I would say is where uh, is where I get most excited about sort of voices coming from
0: my final question is: if you were to gather all the emerging mm. writers yes writer directors out there in a room and you'd throw down a gauntlet in terms yeah. of like this is my challenge yeah. what would it be
2: I think the challenge that I would set them would be, what I've talked about quite a bit, I think, today, is to put aside that notion of the concept that they think will sell, the concept that they think is going to earn them some money, the character they think that other people want to hear that sounds a bit like the one that was successful, and just understand that their currency is completely within their own weirdness. And so it just requires you to be brave. Because someone like me is going to respond to that dialogue, that character, over and above any other quality that you might be able to put down. You know, I've passed on a lot of on paper good concepts because the characters and and the dialogue just seem just very generic and could have been written by anyone. So it's to find your voice. That's it. It's a very standard thing to say. Perfect, that was a really good gauntlet. And look, the answer would differ probably from company to company slightly because of the taste of what each individual company are trying to put out there. And uh, I just know for a film to make it onto the slate of big talk, it being authored is is the most essential thing. So I think it's that thing like if we make a film and it doesn't necessarily work commercially or as well commercially as we might have hoped, Tat the Block and Manor are both examples of that of course that's disappointing, everyone's put a lot of work in, you think it deserves better, but how can you feel you've wasted your time when you're standing behind films like that, that ultimately people do discover on DVD and have a huge love for, and that stand up as fresh, like innovative, and you can't go home at the end of the day and feel disappointed if you've done that, whereas I think you probably can feel very disappointed if you go after the big commercial blockbuster with those dollar signs in your eyes and then it fails because you haven't... I wouldn't take back any of the experiences on those films because they're so creatively rewarding to work on. So I'm, I'm lucky that I'm at a company where that is the ethos of what we're trying to do. I think that thing about voice is just something that I've come to just realise after so many years, kind of like 19 years working in development, is it doesn't matter if you have the greatest idea in the world... You'll get chucked off it if you can't. You, you just will. That's what will happen. Someone else who can nail character and has found their voice will come and make your good idea into a movie. And that's a that's a terribly disappointing place to be. And thank you again. Thank you, honestly. Thank no, you so all. much it's for taking lovely. the time. It's so nice
0: to meet you. Lovely to meet you. Lovely to meet you too. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> OK, OK, let's do some thank yous. We couldn't have made this podcast without Rachel Pryor. Thanks to musical talents of Rory Dempsey, the whole BFI Network team, and producer Marie. We want to know what you think of the podcast, so tweet us at BFI Network. Bye for now. Hello, it's me,
2: Natunda Kabelika.